choosing this podcast for the BJSM community to listen to Professor Bruce Forster, who's a terrific musculoskeletal radiologist, and he served as the head of radiology for the Winter Olympics in 2010 in Vancouver. He's a very active sports practice with ultrasound and MRI, and he's very supportive of clinicians broadly. So Bruce, uh, great to have you on this BJSM podcast. Many thanks for inviting me, Karim. Great to be here. Many physios use ultrasound in their clinics and many of our listeners are in private practice. So let's talk about your thoughts on how physios can train to become better um, skilled at using ultrasound in the practice and what you see the role of ultrasound in private musculoskeletal sports medicine practices is. You bet. So, Krim, as we all know, the ultrasound world has expanded greatly with many more uh, persons holding the probe and doing exams, not just radiologists anymore. Um, and that's great. Uh, I think ultrasound has a lot to offer and it's not, uh, should not be limited to one specialty. It is, however, important to remember that uh, adequate training is essential for quality scans and uh, making the right uh, kind of uh, uh, suggestions uh, and therapeutic decisions for patients. So it's really important that, that, uh, that all practitioners of ultrasound, no matter who they are, uh, get trained formally in a course that has, you know, goals and objectives and evaluations. And ideally, uh, once you're uh, accredited to do MSK ultrasound, uh, you can uh, then go on and do CME afterwards, just as you would for any other type of new skill. Um, You want to keep up and do a few hours of CME every year. Ultrasound, the difference with ultrasound is, is it's really got to be hands-on, right? I mean, you can't, you can't go to the library, as you will, or go on the internet uh, and learn uh, MSK ultrasound. It's got to be hands-on. So there are a lot of courses that, um, uh, that societies offer, as well as clearly some vendors. And um, you want to make sure that the course is accredited by, you know, uh, uh, an agency that's recognized by a therapist as being, um, um, you know, uh, of high order. And, uh, and, and it isn't something you can just um, start and expect to do in a day. It has a steep learning curve. Ultrasound images are not as graphic as MRI, for example. So it takes a while to get used to uh, holding the probe, understanding the machine, you know, adjusting the uh, parameters to get the best image, uh, looking up for, for, for artifacts. You know, it's interesting. I'm now teaching first-year medical students ultrasound. Um, and this is something that we just started last year at University of BC. And it's, it's uh, it, it, ultrasound is now, uh, you know, the stethoscope, if you like, in medicine, um, uh, you know, in this age and is being used uh, much more at all levels. So I really encourage uh, physiotherapists uh, to, to, uh, to, to learn this technique. I think it can, can bring great value to their patients. What are some practical tips for a clinician who's thinking about getting some equipment? And also, how long would a course be in terms of hours? Yeah. So um, equipment-wise, you know, the machines vary from the large ones on wheels that we see at hospitals uh, to uh, more portable uh, machines on wheels to laptop styles to handhelds, okay? I think for most offices, the two extremes are not practical. The handheld ones are not yet validated for use in MSK, so that will come. I do believe that MSK ultrasound will be practiced with the handhelds, you know, within five years, but not right now. Um, similarly, the expensive uh, machines for two hundred fifty-three thousand dollars are not necessary for MSK ultrasound. So we're talking about a laptop uh, type machine or something, a small portable machine that's that's on wheels but but very light and maneuverable. Um, and, and it should have um, very good grayscale imaging, obviously. It should have color flow. 
Color flow allows you to see areas of inflammation that you might miss otherwise. Power Doppler is also something you'd probably want to have. It's light color flow. Um, and other than that, you know, there are other things you can get, uh, uh, types, certain types of harmonic imaging, which are really not that critical for MSK. So I think those are the key points. Um, you should expect to pay uh, a new machine uh, with these uh, kinds of uh, characteristics would be um, somewhere in, in the tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you can get used machines as well. Um, in, in terms of, of how long it would take to be, uh, you know, adept at MSK ultrasound, I'd have to tell you that, that for radiologists, it's, it's actually one of the harder areas of ultrasound. I mean, Achilles tendons are pretty easy right? They're right there. But when you start getting into complex anatomy, say tibialis posterior tendon, spring ligament, uh, this requires a lot more um, uh, understanding of the anatomy, ability to use the probe. And then the shoulder in general is a tough one because it's uh, the rotator cuff is largely covered by bony anatomy through which ultrasound waves have trouble penetrating. So the shoulder is sort of the hardest joint of all. So I would say that, you know, you should expect to go to a course and, and, uh, and get, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you've had no experience, uh, there are often pre-courses you could take and then hands-on scanning. We're talking, you know, I would think 20 hours or, or somewhere in that area to become really good at it. There's also the dynamic aspect of ultrasound. So you can move the joint. For instance, an Achilles tendon injury, you can measure the gap in dorsiflexion or plantar flexion and determine, uh, it, it, to some extent, whether the patient is a surgical candidate. Uh, you can look at tendons that snap, tendons that sublux. For example, uh, you know, the uh, uh, ECU tendon at the wrist, extensor carpal narrus. Um, so uh, the dynamic part of the exam is really, really a benefit of ultrasound. And then the other benefit is, of course, no radiation. You can go over to the other side and compare the uh, contralateral asymptomatic side with a side of concern. So uh, it, it's a really a, a, a very good exam for, for tendons and muscles um, uh, and ligaments. Um, not so good for deep structures like menisci, MCL, sorry, uh, ACL, PCL. Um, not as good for those structures of the knee. Um, and of course, misses not 100%, but misses a lot of bony injuries. Bruce, therapy. So obviously, physicians have got a long history of injecting um, with ultrasound and under ultrasound control, but physios have that as well with extended scope practice in the UK and many countries. What are your the tips for folks using therapeutic, uh, using ultrasound as part of their therapeutic treatment? Well, ultrasound is absolutely uh, ideal for uh, directing therapy because you can, uh, uh, under real time, see the tip of the needle. I think that that's probably the hardest part is getting used to the idea of how you hold the probe so as to best demonstrate the tip of the needle. You want to know exactly where you are, not roughly where you are, so that after you inject the agent, if the patient gets better, you'll know you were in a certain place that caused the patient to get better. So uh, I think the tips are uh, to, to practice for sure, uh, and there are ways to practice with, with um, sort of ex vivo specimens, like literally things like turkey breasts, that type of thing, which courses often, often have. Um, uh, obviously, it's a little harder to practice uh, injecting normal volunteers. Uh, that's why we use things like turkey breasts. But uh, certainly partnering with uh, someone who's, who's good at this and watching how they do it and learning at their elbow, uh, no pun intended, is, is, is the way to go. Um, and uh, uh, in terms of, of, uh, of, of you know, uh, what you inject, that's a whole other category, which
which uh, has its own extensive literature and is, uh, is interesting and a bit controversial. And let's go there, Bruce, because that is a big deal. One thing is teaching people how to inject, but if there's nothing of value to inject, then it makes it a bit of a moot point. You think about this, you're a professor of radiology, you've got a big role in teaching. So do you think the role of cortisone, PRP and stem cells, let's touch on those. Wow. So uh, th there's three, three uh, hot items. So um, I, I think that uh, the uh, PRP, let's uh, start with that, it has been in the literature for the last a number of years. It has been a hot topic. There have been papers on both sides uh, claiming, um, depending on the structure you're injecting, some uh, efficacy, uh, uh, some, some results, some positive results, and yet other papers, um, not so much. This has been very much the history of imaging in a nutshell. Uh, patients, uh, you know, groups start with small number of subjects and sometimes no control arm. And uh, the conclusions, um, you know, aren't always, um, aren't always uh, proven correct later. I think PRP is uh, now being, being viewed a bit more suspiciously and, uh, and maybe uh, not uh, beneficial across the board. There seem to be some areas where it's more beneficial than others, but I think it's safe to say that most, um, uh, most recent evidence uh, does not um, uh, indicate that PRP is a panacea, which quite frankly, uh, in the earlier literature, there was a suggestion along those lines. Uh, in terms of injection of cortisone, one has to be very careful to do a peritendinous injection. You don't want to cause a tendon rupture, so you have to be very careful of your anatomy, and you want to limit the number of times you do that. Uh, it, it's uh, important to, uh, to factor the dose correctly, of course, uh, depending on the location um, and the patient size. We know that injecting steroids does have a systemic effect to patients, no matter what you're injecting, so you want to be careful of that. And then uh, it's interesting, you know, when you look at even things like saline or dry needling or those kinds of things, uh, there are papers that suggest that merely the introduction of a needle into a structure somehow breaks the cycle uh, of inf inflammatory or uh, at least, uh, you know, irritative uh, change. And uh, so th that itself, you might not need any agent at all, depending on, on, um, on the, what the problem is. So I would say at this point, it is, it's a potpourri. It's, there's no, uh, no, no uh, you have to be careful, especially with the steroid. Uh, you have to know where you're injecting, be good at it, um, and uh, make sure that you follow the patient carefully and, um, and have good outcome measures so you can you know, learn from your results. Keep, keep watching that literature too. Many of our listeners are expert in pain science and it's a field that's exploded. Has that come across the radiology domain as well? Because that's one of the other arguments for mechanism of action of these treatments. Well, the treatment of chronic pain is so important. And so in, in Canada, at any rate, the patient population is, you know, quite underserved. So we, in radiology, um, uh, a lot of our pain injections are nerve root blocks or epidural steroid injections to do with uh, radiculopathy, either cervical or lumbar usually, or indeed spinal stenosis for the case of epidural steroid injections. We do uh, so many of these every day, and yet there's still a wait list that approaches in our own city of a year for some of these patients. Very, very difficult because, you know, it's very painful, and they take end up taking uh, sometimes uh, opioids or other strong medicines, which uh, have their own uh, effects. So uh, it is a big problem. Radiology is increasingly involved in uh in imaging uh, guided injection again the the advantage of knowing where your needle is when you inject something is so big um, whereas just doing it blindly I, I realize some things like the AC joint or 
easy to find on palpation, but others can be difficult. And uh, imaging guidance, has been papers that have shown this, uh, is, is definitely the way to go where possible. And so definitely physios could, um, could, could play a role here for sure. And for stem cells? You know, I'm not an expert in stem cells. I, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned that it might end up being kind of like the PRP story, but I'm going to leave that one uh, because I, 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 I don't think there's enough evidence to make a strong call. You're involved in a workshop at the IOC conference in Monaco in March of 2017 on hamstrings. And we've had a few podcasts on hamstrings, but let's get your opinion on the role of the radiologist as a preview for that. Thanks, Graham. Yes, I'm really looking forward to the IOC conference uh, in March in Monaco, uh, presenting with uh, Rod Whiteley, a uh, hamstring workshop. And the, the provocative kind of uh, invitation is, you know, we have patients, two, two or three or four patients, and we're, we're going to ask, you know, which of these patients is ready to return to play? What do the participants think? And then we'll go through the evidence, um, or, you know, in some cases lack thereof, to say whether patients are ready to return to play. So of all the modalities um, uh, that imaging uses to try to help in the decision of return to play or grading of an injury, MRI is the most studied and probably the the most effective in that there's not as much, um, uh, you know, user uh, issues. Uh, You you usually get an MR that is satisfactory. There's not um, uh, the the issue of having to get a good study and depending on the habit of the patient. Uh, with as with ultrasound, um, MR. Uh, what we're looking for is uh, areas of muscle injury which are shown as um, uh, what we call high T2 or bright T2 signal, um, and it would seem that uh, the volume of that uh, that area of injury, uh, the length of muscle involved, the width of it, um, and also importantly whether the central tendon, taking hamstrings for an example, is involved, is probably important. The key point, I think, here for, for us all as a, as, a, as a team managing athletes, whether they be uh, elite or amateur or weekend-type athletes, is that it is a team decision that um, radiologists uh, have uh, you know imaging uh, results to share, but a return to play is not made on the basis of imaging alone, not by any stretch. It is made uh, by the team, which may include a sports med physician, orthopedic surgeon, certainly physiotherapy and, um, and, uh, and imaging. So uh, we don't treat the image, we treat the patient, and that's kind of, uh, I think, the, the, the bottom line. So last one, Bruce. If they're playing for Arsenal or Chelsea, they're going to get an MRI irrespective. Clinicians working in a practice have a patient presenting with a severe hamstring injury, patient's slow progress. Do you think that they should be under pressure to refer for MRI? Do you think that that could be managed clinically? Great question. I think the added value of MRI uh, is um, is still a, a, a subject under study. Uh, I would suggest that, that, in my opinion, my personal opinion, if uh, patients are failing to improve uh, you know, in the course it would be expected, uh, with, um, uh, with, you know, excellent physiotherapy, then it's time to image them. Okay. And if I was going to image them, if it was just, you know, what is the status of this muscle injury? Um, you know, uh, I would use an MRI. Um, the question is, okay, what, how is that going to change the management of the patient? Cause only in rare instances do you operate on something like a torn hamstring, uh, it's a good question uh, whether or not you change your therapeutic approach, uh, whether or not you'd uncover a diagnosis you weren't expecting. I suppose that's always possible. 
um, then, then you know, it is worth doing. So uh, if patients are failing to improve, um, uh, as would normally be expected, there may be other diagnoses that uh, are unexpected. Um, and um, in, in those cases, imaging clearly offers uh, an advantage. For, for example, um, if patients are failing to improve, um, as would be expected clinically for uh, their designated injury, then um, uh, imaging offers uh, the ability to look for uh, other causes of their failure to improve. In other words, not maybe just the muscle injury itself, but adjacent uh, nerve uh, injury, perhaps uh, it could be uh, a nerve that is um, surrounded uh, by uh, edema or uh, perhaps a hematoma pressing on the nerve. These things uh, would be easily seen by MRI. Thanks, Bruce, and thanks for all your support of sports medicine. I know you do a terrific job as a keynote speaker at sports medicine conferences. You're a supporter of all clinicians and a great educator, so thanks a ton. My pleasure, Krim. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope you get to have a physically active day. Thank you.